Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful to uh, to be on with you today and to talk with you about a tower in the Book of Mormon called Ramiumptum. And to maybe take a step back and look at how we operate within our church meetings and see if we don't have a little bit of Ramiumptum in us. So I'd like to begin. Ramiumptum, this is from Wikipedia. It says, according to the Book of Mormon, a Ramiumptum is a high tower or stand from which the apostate Zoramites gave a predetermined vain prayer. The practice of preaching from a Ramiumptum was viewed by several Book of Mormon characters including Alma the Younger and his companion, as sinful. So the question is, what is it about the Ramiumptum that makes it sinful? Is it the fact that it's a vain prayer, a a repeated uh, prayer? Um, I don't think so. I mean, within the church, we have lots of repeated prayers. We... We have the sacrament prayers. There are certain things that have to be repeated in ordinances, in ordaining people to priesthood and conferring people priesthood and ordaining them to certain offices. We have repetition in our faith. I think often we think of ourselves as like, oh, we're the ones who don't use vain prayers, but the other churches do. But in reality, that's not a fair way to look at it because we do have repetition and repeated prayers within our faith. So let's take a deeper look. Alma, chapter 31, beginning in verse 8, it says this. It says, Now the Zoramites were dissenters from the Nephites. Therefore they had had the word of God preached unto them. All right, so first thing, the the Zoramites are Nephites. They have been raised in the faith. They do understand, or at least they did, understand the gospel as it was taught to them. Or at least they heard the gospel taught to them. Whether they took from it what they should have or not, I guess we can't claim, but that would be up to them. But they were taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they are Nephites, or they are, they were at least members of the church, the body of Christ. So it says here, beginning verse 9, it says, But they had fallen into great errors, for they would not observe to keep the commandments of God and his statutes according to the law of Moses. In other words, they begin to misinterpret the gospel and they begin to act out on their misinterpretations. Verse 10, neither would they observe the performance performances of the church to continue in prayer and supplication to God daily that they might not enter into temptation. So they begin to forsake some of the behavioral requirements that the church made on them. Verse 12, now when they had come into the land, behold, to their astonishment, now this is Alma speaking about their going into the land and what they observed. To their astonishment, they found that the Zoramites had built synagogues and that they did gather themselves together on one day of the week, 
which day they did all they I'm sorry they did call the day of the Lord and they did worship after the manner which Alma and his brethren had never beheld for they had a place built up in the center of their synagogue a place for standing which was high above the head and the top thereof would only admit one person now i get it our our pulpit is not 40 feet in the air so i realize we're not talking identical you know in similarities but we ought to recognize that it is in the center of our synagogue that it is a place for standing it is above the head, maybe not high above the head, but it is above the head. And the top thereof would only admit one person. That is true. Generally speaking, one person is at the stand. Verse 14, Therefore, whosoever desired to worship must go and stand upon the top thereof, and stretch forth his hands towards heaven, and cry with a loud voice, saying, Holy, holy God, we believe that thou art God, and we believe thou art holy. And thou, that thou wast a spirit, and that thou art a spirit, and that thou wilt be a spirit forever. Now, we acknowledge that their belief in God as a spirit eternally is, is incorrect. But their standing at this high place and bearing testimony of the reality of God seems very similar to what we would do in our testimony meetings. Verse 16, Holy God, we believe that thou hast separated us from our brethren, and we do not believe in the tradition of our brethren, which was handed down to them by the childishness childishness of their fathers. But we believe that thou hast elected us to be thy holy children, and also thou hast made it known unto us that there shall be no Christ. Again, the whole idea of there being no Christ is false testimony. But how about the idea of separating ourselves from the rest of the world? That God has made us an elect people. That God has chosen to place us in this true form of worship. And the rest of our, of our brethren in the world are, are missing the boat. Does that not seem very much like some of our testimonies? Do we not tell God in our testimonies and tell the congregation how grateful we are that we are members of the true church, that we have been chosen as God's elect in these last days, have been raised up? I wonder sometimes about these similarities. Let's continue. Verse 17. But thou art the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thou hast elected us that we shall be saved whilst all around us are elected to be cast by thy wrath down to hell. Again, I think there are similarities. I do think Mormonism's doctrine is very inclusive of those outside of our faith. You can go back and listen to my episodes on the true and living church and one called Called of God to see that. But in in the black and white way in which most of us as members operate, do we take this, we are saved and the rest of the world needs to join the church to get to the celestial kingdom? Do we take that view? He says, For the which holiness, O God, we thank thee, and we also thank thee that thou hast elected us, that we may not be led away after the foolish traditions of our brethren, which doth bind them down to a belief of Christ, which doth lead their hearts to wander far from thee, O God. I'm sorry, far from thee, our God. And again we thank thee, O God, that we are a chosen and holy people. Amen. And uh, and so that's the prayer from the Zoramites on top of the Ramiumptum. 
And I happen to see many similarities between our form of worship, especially in our sharing of our testimonies, and their form of worship. So let's continue. Verse 19. Now it came to pass that after Alma and his brethren and his sons had heard these prayers, they were astonished beyond all measure. For behold, every man did go forth and offer up these same prayers. Now the place was called by them Ramiumptum, which being interpreted as the holy stand. The holy stand. Now from this stand they did offer up every man the selfsame prayer unto God, thanking their God that they were chosen of him, that he did not lead them away after the tradition of their brethren, and that their hearts were not stolen away to believe in things to come, which they knew nothing about. Now again, that's the reason why the prayer on the Ramiumptum is is sinful. It's not sinful because they simply misunderstand the doctrine. It's not sinful simply because they don't acknowledge Christ and don't believe in him. They probably don't know any better. They they probably in their heart of hearts really believe that the savior is this made up fairy tale that the Nephites have created. I don't see that as being the issue. The issue here Alma list, he says they did offer up every man the same, the self same prayer unto God, thanking their God that they were chosen of him, that he did not lead them away after the tradition of their brethren, and that their hearts were not stolen away to believe in things to come which they knew nothing about. It, what made it sinful was their whole thinking that they were better than those who were outside of their faith tradition. It finishes up, it says, Now after the people had offered up thanks after this manner, they returned to their homes, never speaking of their God again, until they had assembled themselves together again to the holy stand to offer up thanks after their manner. And so church was not a lifestyle for for these individuals. They were just grateful God had made them better than everyone else, and then they went back to life as normal until uh, until it was time to go back to the Ramiumptum again. It says, uh, I was reading in an article, it says, This type of self-centered, repetitive, and open worship draws more attention to ourselves than it does our hearts toward God. Many of the things the Zoramites believed were wrong. It is important to know Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, who they really are, and what they are really like, so that we can know how to worship them appropriately. I agree with that. But the issue with the Zoramites was that their their communication was self-centered. It was repetitive. It was a worship style that drew more attention to them than it did pushing their hearts towards God. It says the repetitive nature of the Zoramites' prayers and their lack of worship outside of their synagogues shows that they were insincere. The Zoramites also thought they were better than others. And then it asked the question, in what ways might we sometimes feel we are better than others? Pride is a serious sin as it leads us away from God. You see, the idea is to come unto Christ, to be perfected in him. The only way we come unto him is through our weakness. And in our humility, we turn to Christ. And yet, vain repetitious prayers that speak about how we are the elect, we are the chosen, draws us away from God and from Christ. Are we aware of such things when they are said from the pulpit? Do we personally make the effort to not say things in that way? Do we assume superiority? Do we think God has blessed us more than others? Do we thank God that we are highly favored? Perhaps there are things that we can learn from the Book of Mormon that will help us avoid our own personal ramiumptums. I want to finish today with two things. I want to share, there's an article which I will link 
and I'm hoping to talk about this more in depth. I've, I've mentioned it briefly in other episodes, but it's an article, uh, I believe it's written by Robert Millett. It is titled Testimony versus Thankimony. And it starts off, it's, it's a really good article helping us frame how we should word our testimonies. It, it has a negative trait to it in that it poses testimonies as I know, I know, I know. And it doesn't leave a whole lot of room for belief or for faith, which is problematic. And we've talked about that in the past. I don't want to hit on that today. But the article does a very good job of talking about testimonies or when we bear testimony, we ought to be careful not to make it a expression of complete gratitude and an expression of giving just thanks for, for, you know, thankful for my being this or my being that. It start off, it starts off with President uh, Boy K. Packer. This is from his, uh, either talk or book, Teachy Diligently. It must be a book, Teachy Diligently, pages 274 to 275. He, he talks about, this. he says, the testimonies we've heard from all the other missionaries went something like this. I'm grateful to be in the mission field. I learned a lot from it. I have a fine companion. I've learned a lot from him. I'm grateful for my parents. We've had an interesting experience last week. We were knocking on doors and, and then he goes on, just leaves it there. Uh, he says, then the missionary would relate an experience. His conclusion would be something like this. I am grateful to be in the mission field. I have a testimony of the gospel. And he would conclude in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And then he says, this young elder was different somehow. He, anxious not to spend an extra second on his feet, he said simply in hurried, frightened words, I know that God lives. I know that Jesus is the Christ. I know that we have a prophet of God leading the church. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This was a testimony. It was not just an experience nor an expression of gratitude. Elder Oaks says in his talk, Testimony, which was in the May 2008 Enzyme, he says a testimony of the gospel is not a travel log, a health log, an expression of love for family members. It is not a sermon. Bruce R. McConkie said testimonies are born in, in a sacrament meeting. A lot of them will just will just be expressions of thanksgiving or of appreciation for parents or this or that. Sometimes there will be a testimony that says in words that the work is true and that Jesus is Lord and that Joseph Smith is his prophet and that raises the level. And so there's this idea. He, um, Elder M. Russell Ballard in his talk, Pure Testimony, says we need to replace stories, travel logs, lectures with pure testimonies. And and the thing, the the article here goes on and on and it talks at length about this but there is hints of it throughout this article about being careful of how we word testimony the testimony should be expressions of the power majesty the love of god not the greatness we hold in comparison to others and so i think if we want to maybe tune in how we how we use the pulpit and to be sure we steer clear away from using it as a ramiumptum, we ought to begin to not see, to see ourselves as not being better than than those around us. I want to finish with what I thought was a funny story, and I think it'll kind of conclude and, and hit this point on the head, and, and we'll just let it be for the day. But this is a talk between a father and his daughter, and it goes like this: What's a ramiumptum, Daddy? Well. The Book of Mormon says it was a place where the Zoramites stood to worship and pray. But my primary teachers said it was a tower that evil people used. Well, I can see how someone could think that. The Book of Mormon says it was a place for standing, which was high above the head, 
and only one person at a time could go up there. Was it like the speaker's stand in church, Daddy? A speaker's stand? Oh, you mean pulpit. Yes, I suppose it was. In fact, the word Ramiumpta means the holy stand. What's so evil about a holy stand, Daddy? Well, it wasn't the stand that was evil. It was how it was used. The people gathered there in their synagogue. What's a synagogue? Uh, just a different word for chapel or church, honey. Oh. They'd gather in their synagogue one day a week. Which day, Daddy? I don't know, honey. It just says one day, and they called it the day of the Lord. It must have been Sunday. Why do you say that, dear? Because Sunday is the Lord's day, Daddy. Well, maybe it was. Anyway, they'd gather there, and whosoever wanted to worship would go on the stand on the top of the Ramiumptum. Could anyone go there, Daddy? Well, no, that was part of the problem. Apparently, they had to wear the right clothes. You mean like us, Daddy, when we wear Sunday clothes? Well, not exactly, but in a way, yes, I suppose some of us might have had a hard time accepting certain kinds of clothes or people in sacrament meeting. But we wear our Sunday clothes to help us be reverent, don't we, dear? Yes, Daddy. So anyway, where was I? They went on to the top of the Ramiumptum. Yes. That's where I was. They would go up and they would worship God by thanking Him for making them so special. Were they bearing testimonies, Daddy? Well, um, I guess maybe they were in a way, but they weren't true testimonies. How come, Daddy? Because they were too proud. What do you mean proud, Daddy? Well, they would talk about how they were a chosen and holy people. Daddy, my primary teacher said Mormons are the chosen people, and we're a special generation. Yes, honey, but that's different. How, Daddy? Well, because we are. Oh, because they were very, very, very proud about how they were much better, and about how much better they were than everyone else, because they didn't believe the foolish traditions of their neighbors. What does that mean, Daddy? It means that they believed everyone else was wrong, and they alone were right. Uh, isn't that what we believe, Daddy? Uh, but it's different. How? Because we are right, honey. Oh, everyone would stand and say the same thing. That 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 sounds a lot like testimony meeting to me, Daddy. Don't be irreverent, dear. Sorry. Then after it was all over, they would go home and never speak about God until the next day of the Lord, when they'd gather at this holy stand again. Isn't that like us, Daddy? No, honey. We have family home evening. Oh, and with that, I hope that each of us will make an effort in our lives to not make the pulpit a personal ramiumptum. May we recognize that God loves all His children, that He is working to bring each of them home, and that while we are indeed in the Lord's church, that that doesn't make us have any more access to God's plan or eventual habitation in His kingdom. God bless you, and may the Lord warm your shoulders.
Taking out my issues there. 